You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And uh, we begin today with the machloket between Moshe and the Benot Tzalafchad. What was their debate about? What were they arguing about? So I'm going to read to you first, before we begin with the um, you know, more detailed discussion, I'm going to begin with what it actually says in the Torah directly. This is what it says. Moshe was, um, was speaking about the division of the land. Moshe was discussing about Eretz Yisrael. And in this discussion, the Torah tells us, Vatikravna benot Tzalavchad. The daughters of Tzalavchad approached. Who are the daughters of Tzalavchad? Vatikravna benot Tzalavchad ben Chefer, ben Gilad, ben Machir, ben Menashe, lemishpechot Menashe, ben Yosef. Now the Torah begins and tells us their history, the story of the daughters of Tzalavchad. Their father was Tzalavchad, his father was Chefer, his father was Gilad, his father was Machir, his father was Menashe, the Menashe, the son of Yosef. Ve'ela Shemot Benotav, and these are the names of his daughters, Machla and Noah, Ve'chagla, Umilka, Ve'tirza. We have the names of these five girls. Ve'tamodna, and they stood, Lifnei Moshe, Ve'lifnei Elazar HaKohen, Ve'lifnei HaNesiyim, Ve'chol Ha'eda, Petach Ohel Moed Lemor. And the simple understanding is that the daughters of Tzalafchad stood in front of Moshe and Elazar HaKohen, because Aaron is already passed away, and all the Nesim, V'chol Ha'eda. The daughters of Tzalafchad are speaking in front of all the Jewish people. And this is what they said. Avinu met ba'midbar. Our father died in the midbar. V'hu lo haya lo betoch ha'eda. V'hu lo haya betoch ha'eda na'odim al Hashem ba'dat korach. He wasn't part of the korach assembly in rebellion against Hashem. Ki becheto met. He died of his own sins. U'banim lo hayu lo. And he didn't have sons. Lama yigara Hashem avinu mitoch mishpachto. Why should our father's name lose out from within his family? Ki ein lo ben, he has no son. Tana lanu achuza betoch ache avinu give us an inheritance amongst the brothers of our father. So the simple understanding, the simple understanding, is that Moshe was teaching about the laws of inheritance, and in the laws of inheritance, the Yerusha goes to the banim, and these young women were upset with this. I mean, this is a simple understanding. Um, they were upset, and they said, well, what about us? Um, and their father didn't have any sons. And the Torah tells us, Vayakrev Moshe et Mishpatan Lufnei Hashem. Moshe brought their case before God. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe lemor, and Moshe said to Hashem, Hashem, sorry, Hashem said to Moshe, sorry about that, Ken benot Tzlavchad dovrot, the daughters of Tzlavchad, they speak Ken, they speak correctly. Naton titen lahem achuzat nachala betoch ache avihem, vavartet nachalat avihem lahem, they do get a portion in the land. 
Now what happened here? What happened here in the Torah? The simple reading is that the daughters heard that only sons inherit and not daughters. And they came to complain and they said, well, what about us? And Moshe brought their case before God and God said, nope, the daughters are going to inherit as well. This does not seem like the simple understanding uh, uh, it does seem to seem like simple. This explanation is difficult to accept. Because what's happening here? What's the debate? If God says that only sons inherit, then only sons inherit. Why should daughters inherit just because they were complaining? And if daughters are supposed to inherit, which we know is the case, then why weren't they told this in the first place? That's the question. Furthermore, furthermore, in the response that Hashem gives to Moshe is Cain benot tzalafchad dovrot. The daughters of tzalafchad, they're saying good things. What are they saying? What is their argument? What is their position? What is the discussion that's happening here? That's the introduction to today's class. Now, this parsha of the Torah, the, the story of the daughters of Tzalafchad. If you look in the commentaries in the Torah, every one of them has a different explanation for how they understand this. And there's many ways that we can look at this. There's many different angles which we can come from. But I, I would like to suggest um, that we do the following. I'd like to share with you two different opinions. Two opinions of what happened here. The first is from the Orachayim HaKadosh, who explains the way the Talmud understands what happened here. And then the second explanation, hopefully if we have time, is from a, a later commentator, someone a little bit more recent. Hopefully we'll have time to get to that. But let's begin first with the approach that the Or HaChaim HaKadosh um, um, presents. And this is going to be a little different than the way we've discussed the last few debates um, between, um, between the um, different rabbis, because there it was much more, uh, we came more from a, uh, I want to say, human perspective, more looking at it in terms of the debate. Here, I think we're going to look more at the, at the biblical perspective of all this, which is a little bit of a different point of view. But let, let, me, let me get into it, and you'll see what I mean. The Talmud tells us there are two different opinions as to what happened here in this debate between the daughters of Tzalafchad and Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm going to, I'm going to um, skip to the second explanation, which is the one that we're going to focus on. I'm going to say it outside rather than to read the Talmud inside, so let's, let's, go, let's do it this way. The Talmud says like this, the daughters of Tzalafchad were... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to change this uh, for a second. Here's a question that I think is a very interesting question that almost nobody asks. 
for 40 years in the Midbar. For 40 years that the Jewish people are traveling in the Midbar. What did the women do all day? What did the women do all day? There was no... What was the entertainment? What, was they, what, were, they, what were they doing all day? There was no work, there was no jobs. I mean, just simple understanding. What were the women doing all day? What did the men do? Ah, great. So you're asking me, what did the men do? I say the men were studying in Yeshiva with Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? And the women took care of the kids, cleaned the house, did all the, the house work, because the men went to study, no? Uh, maybe. I, I think this is part of the, this Somebody image. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had I to thought, do it. I thought they went and studied with before. They still had to cook. Right? Oh, maybe they did not cooking, because the man came down from... You know, this response, this is exactly the kind of response that I, I think we should expect, right? We sh we sh when we start thinking about this question, what were they doing? Well, maybe yeah. some were cooking, some were cleaning, and some were studying we Torah. But we I, I are judging them in, in today's uh, 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 way of living. That was a different way of living then. No, no, absolutely. It was a different it way of living. It's amazing what you are doing now here, comparing recent times to time, times before it's it's <laughs> they were walking they were on the on the road but it's over well yeah but they weren't they were in they the were same place they were in the same they, they were only in 42 different places over 40 years and in some of them they were there for a long time right there were some of the uh, stations that they were at they were at for years so what did they do? So I, I what the domestic thing was done by women because the men had to go and study. Right. So I, I think that I, I think you're all right in 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 terms of our answering this question when we approach this question. But I also think that it's important, as you pointed out, that we're kind of taking modern terms and applying it back into those ancient times. But I'd like to suggest, if I may, um, that the, the Talmud is a little bit answering this question. And I know you suggested before, I think it was Nero who said, that, that uh, maybe they were studying with Sipora. So, actually, let me, let me read this inside. And let me tell you what happened. This is a, a, this is a statement in the Talmud. This is, if anyone wants to look it up, this is Baba Batra. 119b. And here's what the Talmud says. Tana we learned. Benot Tzalafchad Chachmaniot Hen. The daughters of Tzalafchad, they were very smart. Why? Melamed Shaya Moshe Rabbeinu Yoshev Vidoresh Beparshat Yevamin. Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking on the portion of Yibum. Shenemar, as it says in the Torah, Ki Yeshvu Achim Yachdav. There is a halacha in the Torah. If a man dies and he does not have children, Lekatchila, the best thing that should happen, is that one of his brothers should take his wife in the process called Yibum which is referred to as a leveret marriage, 
and be mekim shem laachiv, right? To establish a name and a, a, a to carry on the memory of his brother. The children would be kind of like his brother's children, but he, of course, would um, take the place of his brother. He inherits his brother. He gets the brother's Yerusha. Everything. This is what's supposed to happen, of course. If a person doesn't want to do that, or today where we don't really do this process, so we have a, a, an, an alternate option called chalitza, which we're not discussing now, where, but basically the woman removes the shoe from the man, and uh, there's a process, she spits in front of him, and, uh, and uh, she's free to go. But the simple understanding of the mitzvah is that the brother is supposed to marry his brother's wife. Moshe is saying this, and Moshe is teaching this halacha, and he teaches, this is what Moshe teaches, that if the brother who passed away, if he has either a son or a daughter, then there is no yibum. And I want you to think about that. If the, if the man who passed away does not have a son or a daughter, um, then you do Yibum. But if he has either a son or a daughter, you don't do Yibum. Says the, says the Talmud, Amru lo, the daughters of Tzalafchad said to Moshe, Im keben anucha shuvim, if we are considered like sons, lanu nachla keben, give us inheritance like a son. Im love, and if we're not like a son, then then one of our uncles should marry our mother. I want you to think about the brilliance of the argument of the daughters of Tzalafchad. They're saying like this, if we are considered carrying on the name of our father, then give us land. And if we're not considered to be carrying on the name of our father, which means our father's name is going to be lost, then our, um, one of our uncles should marry our mother and give our mother another son or a son. Miyad vayakrev Moshe et mishvatam lufnei Hashem and Moshe said, I got to take this before God. What happened here according to the Talmud, that's directly from the Talmud. Number one, I find it fascinating that the, that the Talmud just seems to suggest that the daughters of Tzalafchad are sitting in Moshe Rabbeinu's shiur. I, I, I don't know why this image is never given, but that's what the Torah is telling us. That Moshe Rabbeinu, this isn't something they planned there's another interpretation in the Talmud that they, that they heard the law and they came and they brought it before this person and that person and nobody would help them until they came before Moshe and then Moshe took it to God. There is such an interpretation. There's another interpretation that Moshe wasn't even talking about the laws of inheritance. Moshe was talking about the halachot of yibum, of marrying, of marrying the brother's wife in the case of a leveret marriage. And the daughters of Tzalafchad found they were listening to the shear of Moshe, which means you had these five girls who were sitting in, in the shear, and they said to Moshe, we see a contradiction in the Torah. 
says the Or HaChayim HaKadosh, and this is, um, I, I'm trying to, I, I do want to emphasize that this is, this is the Or HaChayim HaKadosh. There are only, we have, a, I don't know if you know, but there's like these secret tra- traditions that there are certain um, information that gets passed along from generation to generation. And one of them is that, when we, that there are only three Sfarim that we refer to them as HaKadosh. The first is the um, Alshech HaKadosh and the Shelah HaKadosh, and the Orachayim HaKadosh. Those are the three which we refer to as Kadosh. So I, I'm sharing with you an explanation that comes from the Orachayim HaKadosh. And wh- what he says is that the, the girls, the daughters of Tzalafchad, had to, on some level, I mean, this is, this is what he's saying, they argued with Moshe in terms of the, uh, the presentation here, I'm, I'm leaving this kind of vague, I'm not sure really how deep to go into this, but the Arachayim HaKadosh says that the daughters of Tzalafchad already knew they were Chachmaniot, as our sages say, they already understood all of the laws of the Torah. And this is what they were saying to Moshe. Uh, uh, hear me out, because the Arachayim HaKadosh, again, everyone accepts this, says like this, that when they said to Moshe, are we, our daughters, considered like sons or not? If a daughter is considered like a son, then we should get land. And if daughters are not considered like a son, then our mother should have Yibum done, right? That's what we saw in the Talmud so far. To which Moshe said to them, this is what the Orachayim HaKadosh says. To which Moshe said to them, Yes, women do inherit. When there are no Banim, then the land is passed on to the Banot. And the daughters will inherit. To which the daughters said, Well, that's very good that we are going to inherit. But what are we going to inherit? So Moshe says to them, the portion of your father, Tzalafchad, his portion. To which they say, no, that's not enough. We also want, and that's why you'll notice the Torah came with the introduction of the long genealogy, the the, uh, um, yichus of the daughters of Tzalafchad. They said, we also want our grandfather Hefer, his portion in the land. Because Hefer is no longer in this world, and his children are going to be dividing up his land, we want not only our father's portion, but we want a, a, the portion of our, that our father was going to get in our grandfather's land. And Moshe said, yes, you get that. To which, again the Orachim continues, and he says, to which they said, yes, that's not enough. We want, because our father was a Bechor, so our father should get a double portion in the land of in the land of Hefer, which means that they were looking to receive four pieces of land instead of one that they were originally presenting. And when they said we get land, Moshe said yes. They said and we get our father's land in our grandfather's land, right? And Moshe said yes. 
And they said, and we get a double portion in that land. And Moshe said, I don't know. Vayakrev at Mishpatan, and Moshe brought their case, Lifnei Hashem, before Hashem. They, Vayakrev Moshe at Mishpatan, Lifnei Hashem. According to the Orachayim HaKadosh, the daughters of Tzalafchad stumped Moshe Rabbeinu. They argued with him to the point where he no longer had the information. And of course, Moshe Rabbeinu is a, is a um, anav mikal adam. He doesn't have a problem saying, I don't know. He said, I'm going, I'm going to find out. I'm going to go ask Hashem. Okay, before I go on with, with this, I want you to understand the image that is being displayed here by the Orachayim HaKadosh. You have Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't know if anyone can ever explain the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu, and I don't know if anyone should ever try. In, in, my, in my head, um, you know, from my days all the way back in, in Yeshiva and before that in, in, in Cheder, it became so clear, the message, the teaching that was given over, that we cannot possibly, possibly fathom the face of Moshe Rabbeinu. There's no image. There's no image to the face of Moshe Rabbeinu. He was too holy. He was so holy, uh, I don't know, I, I would turn into dust in his presence. He is the Av L'chol HaNavim. And he's teaching Torah. Yeah, maybe I should say this better. Moshe Rabbeinu is the kind of person who can tell people, wait here, I'm going to ask God. And he turns around to God and says to God, Ma ha What's the law? And Hashem says to him, Yep, the benot can, they're speaking correctly. We're talking here about a human being who has a direct line with God. And there he is, sitting there and teaching. The Jewish people couldn't look at his face. He was so holy, so much light coming from him, he needed a mask. That's what it says in the Torah. And, and the daughters of Tzalafchad are debating him. Back and forth. They're having an argument in the middle of the Shi'ur. And it's, this is thousands of years ago. And the daughters of Tzalafchad, they raise their hand in the middle of the Shi'ur. I don't know if they raise their hand. Or, as it sounds from the Talmud, they just spoke out. And they said, Moshe, this is a contradiction in your halachot. And Moshe says, okay, well, there's this, there's this, there's that, back and forth. And then they reach a point where Moshe says, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go ask God. The Talmud tells us a very interesting thing. The Talmud tells us that the plan, the plan was that God was going to teach us these, these rules, these laws. And this is what it says. Ru'uya ha'ita parshat nachalot likatev al yidei Moshe. It was supposed to be that the laws of inheritance should be taught by Moshe like every other mitzvah in the Torah. It says in the Torah, don't steal. There is no story written there. 
It says in the Torah that you should um, don't wear wool and linen. There's no story there. Why is it that when it comes to the laws of girls inheriting, we have a sipur, we have a story? Because the daughters of Tzalafchad, they were meritorious, they did the right thing, and because of that, they are mentioned in the Torah, and this law is given together with them. What's the right thing that they did? What's the zachu? What's the zachu? What did the daughters of Tzalafchad do that was so great? They stood up for themselves. Why is that a zachut? What did they do that was so heroic? But the Talmud says that really this was supposed to be given on their own, but because they did the right thing, they merited it should be given through them. Because the laws, it says also it's in the end of the people. So it's here they understood that life dictates something, what's right and what's wrong, and they have a voice. And they have a voice to express life. Right. It, it's just interesting you say that because I, you see, I, from what I understood in the Talmud, at least from the interpretation of the Talmud, is it doesn't sound like they were stepping outside of any boundaries that existed. It doesn't seem. Logically. It doesn't they seem. Uh, from, what? They thought, they thought logically. Like in a law, this is this, and you can learn from this to the next. This is how laws, laws are built. If there is a given law, you built on that to go to the next law because it makes sense. No, I agree with you. We, we see, we see clearly here that they are, as the Talmud refers to them, chachmaniot. What I'm asking is, what is their great zechut? How are they being? Um, how are they doing a mitzvah? What's the mitzvah here? And I, I want you to, to think about this this way also. Who is Tzalafchad? Who is Tzalafchad? Who is the Tzalafchad guy? So the Talmud has a tradition that Tzalafchad is the Makoshesh. If you think about earlier in the Torah, we're told of a story that there was a man who broke Shabbat and he was killed for it. He's called the Mekoshesh. Vayish Mekoshesh Etzim. You know, the Talmud isn't so happy that we revealed his name. Anyway, that's a whole separate discussion. But, but their, their father was a Mechalel Shabbat. And he was killed for it. That's what they meant, if you remember, I read from the Torah, and it says that the, they said, the daughters of Tzalafchad, Avinu met bamidbar ki omet. He died of his own sins. L- listen to this in the Talmud. This is the Talmud says. Ruuya hayta parshut mekoshesh tikateva ide Moshe. The story of the mekoshesh, the guy who broke Shabbat, it shouldn't have been written as a story. It should have just been written as a law. But because he did the bad thing, it was written through him. Again, let me say this very clearly. The father, and let's start with the daughters. The daughters, because they did something special, they were zochah, they merited that this whole mitzvah of, of inheritance should be taught through them. While their father was the opposite. He did something so bad 
that he was remembered for the bad incident which he did. Says the Talmud Malamed, we learn from here, that good things happen through good people and bad things happen through bad people. Which is really interesting because that means the daughters of Tzalafchad are being distinguished from their father. Meaning that at the same time that they are protecting their father's name, they are also being removed from the stigma of their father being a sinner and having broken Shabbat, but not because they cut themselves off from him, but by saying he did his sin, he paid his crime, and it turns out that he taught us the mitzvah of how to keep Shabbat. And so too, the daughters, they are saying something good, something special, and through them, we're going to learn the halachot of inheritance. Again, I, you know, this is, this is, there's so much here, there's so much to discuss, and I'm trying to keep this on a very narrow um, path of discussion, but um, there, there is an interesting issue here, which is that the daughters of Tzalafchad were able to I'm going to use this term, that's what it's saying, we were able to corner Moshe Rabbeinu to the point where he said, I don't have the answer to this. I'm going to take this up to Hashem. And Hashem could have given him, could have given Moshe this information. But the question is, why didn't Hashem tell Moshe this rule about whether daughters inherit or not? Says Tosafot. Tosafot is one of the commentaries on the Talmud that every yeshiva boy studies. You know, the, uh, and the, this Tosafot, because this is in Yesh Nochlen, this is a very often studied section of the Talmud. Says the Tosafot, that's the grandchildren of Rashi, that Moshe had not yet taught the laws of inheritance. Moshe was teaching the laws of Yibum, of leveret marriage. The daughters of Tzalafchad, and I'm quoting here from Tosafot, said to themselves, We don't have an issue with women not inheriting. We don't have an issue with women not inheriting. However, if a woman's not going to inherit, then our mother, someone should do the leveret marriage, someone should do yibam on our mother. Now, why were they okay with women not inheriting? I think when anyone else reads this story and they say, what? In the Torah, um, only boys inherit and not girls? Now it turns out that in the Torah, boys inherit when um, always, and girls only inherit when there are no boys. Does this bother anyone? Probably would. You know who it didn't bother, says Tosafot? It didn't bother the Benot Tzalafchad. Why? <laughs> You know, this is always so true. I think too often people are upset by a concept before they know the reasons behind it. I'm going to tell you what Tosafot said the Benot Salafchod were thinking, and you'll see what a different perspective can open up a new view of the world. 
Says Tosafot, of course the Benot Tzalafchot understood why daughters shouldn't inherit. Because what happens when a girl inherits and then she gets married to someone from a different Shevet? What you will have is what we refer to in Talmudic terms as Hasavat Nachala. In other words, we forget this. But there used to be 12 separate tribes. And we were always one people. But in the laws of land, Nachala, there is a concept of maintaining the tribal lands within the tribe. Therefore, the daughters couldn't inherit because we know that whether you are Jewish or not, according to our tradition, passes through the mother. The mother carries the Jewish neshama and passes it on. But that's only in terms of whether you're Jewish or not. But the tribal identification, whether you are from Shevet Ruven or Shimon or Levi or Yehuda, passes through the father. So if a girl is going to inherit, she's going to become the tribe of her husband, and her children who will inherit her will then move the tribal lands from one tribe to another. That's the reason why Banot are not your shot in the Torah. That's why daughters don't inherit. Said the daughters of Tzalafchad, very good. We get it. We understand that the tribal boundaries are more important than our individual states of ownership. Pretty clever on their part. But, what about our father? It was forget us. But our father has a portion in the land and that's going to pass on to his brothers and to his, um, basically to his brothers and our father's name will disappear and we know that our father, their father Tzalafchad is entitled to a portion in the land of Eretz Yisrael. He was one of the Yotzei Mitzrayim. He's one of those who left Egypt. So because you don't want us to be Mesiv Nachala, because you don't want us to move the tribal lands to another tribe, you're erasing an entire section of the tribe. It's a pretty deep argument on their part. So which is worse, Moshe? Is it worse that our land should move to another tribe, or is it worse that our father's name should disappear? And you know what Moshe says? Moshe says, you're right. You're entitled to land. And he takes this up before Hashem. And Hashem says, Ken, they speak correctly. They are right. Because you know what? Do you know what the Benot Salafchad did? They married men from their own tribe. They married men from their own tribe. Not because they were told they had to do so, according to the Talmud, but because they chose to do so. Because they wanted to receive their portion, and then even though there was a danger that they were going to move the land to another tribe, they made the choice to marry within their tribe and to keep the ancestral lands in their place. So you have the Chochmah, of the Benot Salafchad, who are arguing 
for women's rights, if I may, but without arguing for women's rights by saying, if the men have it, the women should have it, which is the way it's usually um, um, given, because, as the commentators explain, there are times when there are things that belong to certain people and not to other people. There are certain roles that have to be played by certain individuals as opposed to other individuals. Now, I'm not, this is not a men versus women rights issue. We're not discussing that. But it's an element within that discussion. Yes, there are things we should treat everyone the same and everyone should be entitled to equal dignity and respect. That's not even a question. But, can there be concepts like that there are differences in halacha between men and women and what the, what the Orachayim HaKadosh is suggesting is that the reason why um, the reason why they were so chachmaniot, the reason why they were so clever, was because they were presenting a solution that solves all the problems. But they weren't coming as a complaint. They weren't arguing because of the principle that we women should be entitled to whatever, which may be a separate argument. What they were saying is, let's think about the reasons. We get why women don't inherit. Women don't inherit because they will be Mesiv Nachala. They're going to move the tribal lands across to the other tribe. But, in our case, we feel like we want to be trusted with the ancestral lands, and we can take care of it, and they did. And this turns the Benot Salafchad into a new kind of hero. It's an intellectual um, overpowering of Moshe Rabbeinu. They out-argued Moshe, and Moshe comes before Hashem, and Hashem says, they are right. I don't know if the daughters of Tzalafchad would have received the same response, if they would have come with an attack, and almost a, a defensiveness of, well, why should... Uh, they weren't saying, Lama Nigara, why are the daughters... Um, I mean, this is the way Tosafot explains it. I mean, Tosafot says that that's what they were thinking. They understood, listen, we don't want to move the, the tribal lands from one tribe to another. Okay, before I go on, any, any points that anyone wants to add to, to what we've said so far? Okay. I want to say something. They did it with some limitation. It was in the, in the tribe. It was done with limitation. It was not, they didn't have the free will totally. Well, the thing is, they did because they chose. They weren't required. When they won their portion in the land, they won their portion in the land, and they could have married whoever they wanted. And you know what that would have done? It would have shown that they were more concerned about themselves than about the tribe as a whole. And then you wonder whether people who are more concerned as a tribe about themselves than for the tribe, you wonder if they're actually entitled to land. Right? It's almost it's like... Part, part of their wisdom. That, right, this is... Right. But, but it was a compromise. Part of the wisdom was a compromise bending the, the, the law and accepting it. Right, but the thing is, I, I think it's very important to remember, they weren't told this. They weren't told that they have to marry. They made that choice. 
and, and there's because something they were Chachmaniot right? because they were they, they were Chachmaniot they knew that they cannot you cannot get things 100% you have to work around it and you have you have to come to a certain compromise with doing this kind of thing right but they came up with this idea better than anyone else right they, they were suggesting this as uh, right okay yes uh, no okay yes I think this is a Jewish way of thinking. You don't do a revolution. You go build step by step and slowly, slowly change to what should have been, but without jumping over the fence immediately. You just do it smartly. And I think women have more practical characteristics. And they are practical. They say we cannot fight what it is, we have to accept logically the consequences. And so practically, what is the step we can do in order to achieve it and maybe build it? It becomes a law. This becomes the law. And based on these other laws that come. And I'm going right. to this. This is the logical, non-revolutionary. It's, it's evolution rather than revolution. Right. I think that, that, that's great. Evolution ra rather than revolution. That's, that's great. So you, you should it's be quoted on that. Yes. Right. So, uh, what, what we're seeing here is that the daughters of Tzalafchad are the symbols, they become symbols for how women will in the future approach their necessities in Halacha. But more than that, they're teaching all of the Jewish people how to approach these issues in Halacha. Right? I, I think that's such a great quote. Evolution rather than revolution. Um, you know, the idea of Bring it up logically. Don't just attack because emotionally you feel something is unfair. There are things, life is not fair. There are things that exist that aren't fair. But let's look at it from an intellectual perspective. Chachmaniotem. What they were thinking at it was logically. Okay, well let's think about what really is fair. What can be done? What should be done? There's a reason why women don't inherit. But what about circumstances when women should? And you know what? Leave it to the woman. They'll figure out how to keep it within the tribal lands. Uh, this answers an interesting question um, uh, for what exists today. Today, in Halacha, Halacha Lama'aseh, if you go to a rabbi and you say to him, what are the laws of inheritance, the laws of Yerusha today? They will tell you like this. The laws of Yerusha for us are the same as they have been for three and a half thousand years which is that when a person dies, the inheritance goes, number one, first to the sons. If there are no sons, it goes to the daughter. If it doesn't go to the daughter, then it goes to any descendants. If there are no um, any further descendants, if there are no descendants, it goes up to the parents, and then to the siblings, then to the uncles. There's a process. However, every single religious Jew, when they go to their rabbi, and say, Rabbi, what should we do about inheritance? Every single Jew is told, by every single rabbi in the world, uh, there are some who don't, but most rabbis, to draft what's called a halachic will. A halachic living will. What does this mean? It means, I'm just going to give an example, let's say a man or a woman has had two sons and two daughters. So, what they do is, they write up a will, a tzava'ah, and the tzava'ah says, because if we don't write it Tzavah, what's going to happen is when the person passes away, the two sons will get everything and the two daughters will get nothing. Right? So what you do is you draft a halachic will 
which says that 10 minutes before the person dies, he's giving a gift of 99% of what he owes, um, let's say he has a million dollars, he's giving 250000 to the son, 250000 to the son, 250000 to his daughter, 250000 to his daughter. He's going to leave $10 behind, and that $10 which he dies will be his inheritance, and that $10 will be divided amongst his sons. This is the way that it's done today. A halachic will, which makes it that a person can give his children whatever he or she wants, and, and you do it by giving it away while the person is alive, um, as a matana to the children, it's called a living will. And many have asked, what are we doing? Why are we going around the Torah? The Torah says that boys inherit, then boys should inherit. Why are we doing this halachic living will to go around it and to give daughters? But if you know the story of the Benot Salafchad, then you understand that the reason why the Torah insists, at least this is one interpretation, the reason why the Torah insists that boys inherit and not girls is because of the Nachala of Eretz Yisrael. But here, in Chicago, Illinois, we, we don't need this rule that only boys should inherit and not girls. There's no Nachala. So then, the, then, as long as you're Mekayim, the mitzvah in the Torah, you leave some money behind that the boys inherit, essentially you can give your money to whoever you want, because we don't have the reason of Hasavat Nachala. Now, we can't change the law because of a reason, but we can work around the law following the rules because of this reason. What I'm saying is that the daughters of Tzalafchad teach us, not only... The daughters of Tzalafchad teach us that it's not because we want boys to inherit and not girls... They taught us that the reason is because we want to protect the Nachlot HaShvatim. That's what the daughters of Tzalafchad teach us. So in a case where you don't need to worry about Nachlot HaShvatim, such as in Chicago or New York or L.A., so then give your inheritance to whoever you want. You've got to follow the rules and do it properly in a way where you're not breaking the laws of the Torah, but essentially you can give it to whoever you want. I'm asking, I'm asking, you said that this one gets 25% this month, and then there is $10 like that is being left behind? Right. The right. Okay. Alright, a person wants to leave, because there is a mitzvah. There is a mitzvah in the Torah. There are 613 mitzvot in the Torah. All of the mitzvot in the Torah you can perform while you are alive. Right? There's a mitzvah to uh, eat uh, the Korban Pesach. There's a mitzvah to um, shake the lulav. There's mitzvot. You do them when you're alive. There's only one mitzvah that you can only do when you're dead. And that is the mitzvah to properly give Yerusha to your children. To follow the laws of the Torah of Yerusha. And in the laws of the Torah, everything you leave goes to your sons and not to your daughters. But I thought it changed... Through those ladies. No, so what I'm saying is that didn't change. What changed was that if there are only daughters, then the daughters can inherit, but not if there are sons. 
So, if that stands, they don't deny it. That's right. So what we're saying is, the reason is, because the reason why they were arguing for daughters to inherit is not because they wanted daughters to inherit, they understood that daughters can't inherit. Because daughters, if daughters inherit, then the tribal lands will switch. Over the years, we won't know where Yehuda is and where Zavulun is and where Naphtali is because everything keeps changing. So because they understood that, they understood that the mitzvah of the Torah is based around that, so in their situation, they will protect the tribal lands. And therefore, as a result of that, what it meant, what accomplished, what was accomplished, was that from then on, daughters can inherit in, in a process, daughters can inherit in any process that you use that doesn't confuse the tribal lands. That's what they accomplished. So therefore, in America, you're allowed to actually write a will that gives your, all your children equally, your sons and your daughters, you have to do it in a way where you don't break the laws of the Torah, so you give it to them as a gift. But the reason why you're allowed to work around the Torah is because the purpose of the mitzvah of the Torah was to make sure that the tribal lands remain in place, and that's not an issue over here. Right. But didn't you say that there is some amount of money that is put aside right. so, so, so you, and you, give right. it to the boys. Right, so what you want to do is you want to leave a small amount of money to give to the boys just so that you can perform the mitzvah of giving Yerusha. If a person gives everything away when they're alive and they die, so when they die they have no Yerusha, they can't do the mitzvah of giving Yerusha properly to their children. And since it's the only mitzvah you can perform after death, you know, you want to make sure to get that right. So what you do is you leave a few dollars and you ask them to go with the biblical letter of the law with those few dollars, just so that you perform the mitzvah. Meanwhile, you've taken care of all your children. But why, why is it important, if you are in Chicago, to preserve the nachala? Why is this gimmick of ten dollars? You don't need no, no. In Chicago, you don't need this. That's, oh, okay. Right? So that's why, that's why in Chicago, you can give your money to whoever you, you want in a living will. Right, right. Okay. I okay. also misunderstood it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, this is very complicated stuff. You know, this, this discussion, and it's, you can see sometimes I'm struggling here, there's five pages of the Talmud that are discussing this, and I'm trying to pack it all in the simplest form in very, in very brief terms. But I think we're getting a general understanding, even if we can't repeat all the details, to understand that here are these women who are sitting in the shiur of Moshe Rabbeinu. I think that itself is a shock to many. Right? Just that, just that concept itself. And then, the second shocker, that they, they speak up in the middle of the shiur. There's a woman. Right? Five, five girls. Amrulo, it says. Sounds like all five. These were five women. They weren't married at that time. And according to the calculations, they would be somewhere in their late 30s. So they're sitting there in the shear and they're arguing with Moshe Rabbeinu. And there's no rabbi standing up and saying, why are the women speaking? There's none of that. There's just... Moshe Rabbeinu is so beyond all these things. Right? He's the Av Chalan he's, he's just listening to a Jew who's speaking, and you know, he argues back, he explains, and then eventually he goes, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Excuse uh, me, was yes. there a Please go on. I, 
Was there a mechitza? <laughs> was there a mechitza? That's a really good, interesting question. Um, it's a really interesting question. Uh, I think that um, the answer I would give to that is a lot longer than the time we have. So I'm going to owe you the answer to this question. Because the, the, the history of mechitza needs a, a discussion on its own. But I'll just say it like this. It doesn't seem like at Matan Torah there was a mechitza, and therefore it doesn't seem like there would be a mechitza here either. So, but let's, let's move on from there for now. Yes? And, uh, it's, it's a small question. It takes a long time to answer it. Why did it chose the name Tzel Tzlofchad, which Tzel Pachad? Why? I mean, we, we adore, I mean, my daughter is called Noah because of this story, but why the name Tzlofchad, Tzel Pachad? Why right, so, so the way we understood it was that it's not Tzel Pachad, but Tzlaf and Chad. Tzalaf being the caper bush, and, and, and um, right, the tzalaf with the, the, the tree, and then chad would either mean sharp or one. Um, but it is interesting that you could read the name as tzalpachad too. But, but the way we understand it is it's tzalaf echad. Right? Okay. okay. Now I want to share with you, I know I'm running out of time, I, 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 there's so much more to discuss here, and... and um, and we barely touched on the arguments between Moshe and and Tzalafchad, and the Benot Tzalafchad. But I, I think this is a very important teaching, so I'm going to steal the last few minutes just to share with you this. This is a teaching from the Divrei Shaul. The Divrei Shaul, Rabbi Yosef Shaul Natanzan, you should look him up, just so that you can see that he is um, universally accepted as a religious Orthodox rabbi. Because what I'm about to say may cause you to doubt that you are listening to something suggested by a universally accepted rabbi. But this is what he says. He quotes the commentary of Rashi on the Chumash. It says here, Cain benot tzalafchat dovrot. The Torah says, this is what the daughters of tzalafchat speak. And I, I, want, I want you to know that the main goal of what I'm about to teach you is to make the following complaint. When we talk about the heroes, the great Jewish women, we always quote Esther and Devorah and Hannah and Sarah and Rivka and Rachel and Leah. We quote, and, and, and for good reasons. These were giants. But I don't think we give enough credit, and I'm so glad you said you named one of your daughters after the Benot Salafchad. I don't think we talk enough about the Benot Salafchad, and I think that this teaching from Rabbi Yosef Shol Natanzan in the Divr Shol should change that. This is what he says. Rashi in his commentary. Rashi. Even if you'll find me one Jew who doesn't accept Rabbi Yosef Shol Natanzan, you won't find a single Jew in the world who doesn't accept that Rashi is the primary commentary on the Torah. And this is what Rashi says. Hashem, God tells Moshe, Kach ketuva parsha zu lefanai b'marom. The way that the daughters of Tzalafchad are speaking is how I have this law written in heaven. I'll say that again. God says to Moshe, I hear your argument. I hear the argument of the daughters of Tzalafchad. The way that the daughters of Tzalafchad are arguing, Kach ketuva parsha zu lefanai b'marom, that's how it's written in heaven. 
Magid says Rashi, this teaches you, Shira'ata enam mashalo ra'ata enoshal Moshe. That the eyes of the daughters of Tzalavchad saw what Moshe didn't see. Says the daughter, says the Divrei Shaul, what? How could you say that? They're not Neviot. Ech Efsher, he says, Shemoshe Rabbeinu, Navi Eloki. He's the prophet of God. Lo Yavin, Masheevinu, Abanot Ha'ela. You think Moshe couldn't think of what these girls could think of? And the Divrei Shaul knows what you're thinking. What you're thinking. And he says, Afsha Hayu Chachmaniot Vitzadkaniot. Yes, yes, I know. They were Chachmaniot, they were Tzadkaniot. They were righteous, they were smart, they were clever, they were brilliant, they were honest, they were meritorious, they were good people. But still, he's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's Rabbeinu. He receives the Torah from Hashem. Says the Divrei Shaul, from here we learn, and this is what our sages mean when they said, Chacham Adif Minavi. Chacham Adif Minavi. Mizeh Chacham Shiyoter Gadol Minavi. Benot Salafchad. Divri Shaul. Kach Katuv. And he says, um, he says, Biur Ha'inyan. He says, I want to say a davar chadash. You're about to hear a davar chadash. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to try to finish this point. He says, you'll see sometimes that in a time of an emergency, for example, when there's a fire or something, a person can lift, wait, push something aside that they would never be able to do. Everyone knows this, right? In a state of an emergency, there's this adrenaline rush and there's this... Why? He says, because we have so much power within us, we have so much force, we have so much wisdom, we have so much understanding, physical strength, emotional strength, intellectual strength, and we never reach it. We never reach into our own potential. So he says, Moshe was a chacham too, he wasn't just a navi. We know that that you need to be a chacham to even become a navi. He says, Rak, someone who's not a Navi, in Tzarich Lahavin, is a Davar, Hoye Bakshoto, Ladatu Mishtamish, Bekokoko, Ladatu Davarin. Someone who's not a Navi uses their brain, pushes their brain to think. He says, Moshe didn't use his brain to think at the same level. This is the words. Eino Matriach Sichlo Kalkach, because he can ask God. Because Moshe has the option of Nevoah. So he doesn't question, well, what about this, what about that? He just says, listen, if this comes up, I'll ask God. But the Chachamim, so here we have, Moshe Rabbeinu is giving his shiur, and he's teaching the laws, and he's not taking it to the edge of the law, and getting to the full extent of the law, because even though he's a Chacham, he relies on his nevuah. And so it doesn't push him to think all the way, while they, they're not Neviot. They're not Neviot, they're Chachamot. They're wise women. And so they're thinking, says the Diver Sha'ol, they thought this situation more thoroughly through than Moshe. This is a Diver Sha'ol, 18th century rabbi. 18th, 19th century. He says, don't make the mistake of thinking that this makes them greater than Moshe. Because as we know, when Moshe does go before Hashem, 
he will know information that they will never understand. Because even though Chacham Adif Menavi, and Navi can see more, that's why Korach wants to be Moshe. Right? Korach wants to be Moshe because he wants the information that Moshe gets to Nevoah. This is why Shlomo, who's Chacham Mikal Adam, still is, doesn't know Torah better than Moshe because Moshe has access to Nevoah and, and Shlomo doesn't have that level of Nevoah. But, but, in this case, in this instance, this is what the Divrei Shaul says, these women outthought Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is what makes them chachmaniot, and this is what makes them um, um, really um, um, be able to merit. When it says zachu, it means that they studied their Torah to the deepest level possible, to the point where their eyes of their mind saw what Moshe Rabbeinu did not see, as Rashi says, shirata enam mashalo rata enoshel Moshe. These were women who were so smart that they thought of something to the point where they're considered to have seen something that Moshe couldn't see. Now that is someone who we can look up to. Those are someone that we can look up to. Someone who can outthink a prophet. And that's from the words of the Divrei Shaul. So uh, I'm going to finish with this. You know, the... Um, there is a dispute going on here. And this dispute, as you can see, is the exact opposite of some of the disputes that we've had at the end, where people are fighting, and, and we're going to see lots of that. That's coming up. But in the biblical debates, it's a biblical debate into the roots, into the sources of the halacha. They are, they are creating the halacha. And when you're creating and formulating and figuring out the halacha, you can't, it can't be anything personal in here. You can't bring in your feelings and it's, it's the Torah and you have to understand it. But when you look at it with a clear point of view, to the point where Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, good point, I have to ask God. And God says they're right. Of course they're right. And it's supposed to be that way. Because God wanted that this incident should occur because He wanted the Jewish people forever. This story didn't need to be written in the Torah. This, the Torah could have just said the law. The Torah wants us to know the story, to know that in the future we're supposed to look up to and emulate this kind of challenging of the system, but within the system. So what's the final verdict? Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.